Matthew continues his story. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. And Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness, and they were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that age from information he'd gotten from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament, Rachel weeping for her children, Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone, dead and buried. And later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. And Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother, and re-entered Israel. And when he heard, though, that Archelaus had succeeded his father, Herod, as king in Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee, and on arrival he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic words, he shall be called a Nazarene. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I wanted to share a word with you this morning. But the more I thought about it, and the more I realized what the setting was likely to be, um, I thought it could be an informal word. I hope when I'm done you'll agree that it was a good chance to take. Those of, that have been in Wednesday night Bible study with me know that I love this little dry erase board. But the reason I love it isn't so much that I expect anybody to take notes, but I have found that as I talk, as I scribble on it, it helps to keep me on task. These buttons have nothing to do with what I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't think, who knows? Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, we've gathered today on, right on the porch of a brand new year. And we're thankful for the journey that we've made together in the year past. And we pray for the year coming, for none of us knows where the winds will blow, where the Spirit will take us, uh, but we sense your presence in the leading, and we are people of faith that will follow where you lead. So be with us in the coming year. But this morning in your house, we're grateful for all present, for we sense you in the presence of others. That's the story of Jesus in a profound way. And we simply ask that as we spend this time together, you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your word for us this day. For in all things, we give you glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'd like to encourage you um, to be in dialogue with me a little bit this morning. I think that's how it might work better. But I thought we could go just for a little basics about what has gone on 
in the prior season up until the last couple Sundays. Um, in our scripture, we have how many Gospels? Four. Okay, we're warming up. That's good. All right, there are four Gospels. Can you tell me what they are? All right, good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, of the four, three of them are called synoptic Gospels. Do you know what that means? Synoptic Gospels mean that they talk about the life of Jesus. Um, from his teaching through his um, death and resurrection. So it's a synopsis, hey, of Jesus' life. Three of those four are synoptic gospels. Do you know which one is not? John, good. And why is John not one of the synoptic gospels? Well, he tells the story of Jesus, but it's from a totally different angle, right? In John, you get this beautiful discourse in the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing was made without him, whole nine yards. Beautiful poetry. But John talks about pre-existing Christ from the beginning of creation. It's a whole different thing. It's like steeped in Greek thought, almost like one of the Greek gods. Um, so it's not included in the synoptic gospels. So our synoptic gospels, we've narrowed it down now, are three that talk about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of those three, can you tell me how many have a birth narrative? Two. Two have birth narratives, and the two are Luke and Matthew, right? Okay, so we're going to shoot Mark off, because if you're familiar with Mark's gospel, Mark begins with Jesus in the wilderness. It's more important for Mark that Jesus becomes the Son of God at his baptism. All right, and by coincidence, or not by coincidence, Mark is the earliest gospel. And my mouth is drying out. Excuse me. All right, Mark is the earliest gospel, which dates to about 70. Um, if you remember your history, what else happened in 70 of the Common Era? Yeah, destruction of the temple. Jerusalem was sacked by Rome. Right around that time, the Gospel of Mark appears on the scene. Now, about how long is that after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension? About 40 years, right? So for those 40 years, much of the Jesus tradition has, has survived how? Oral tradition, telling stories like we're doing right now. So that was Mark. Now, most scholars believe, and if you look at the two Gospels that are remaining, Matthew and Luke, that both had Mark as a source document because much of their Gospels, when they get to certain material, is word for word from Mark. So it's widely agreed that, Mark, that Matthew and Luke both had Mark as a source document. So they had Mark in their hands when they were writing. They also had a document that's yet to be discovered, but that's been called Q, and part of the cue is a question. But it's, it's thought to be a series of sayings because these sayings are doubled both in Matthew and in Luke, but not even found in Mark. So they think they had two source documents. Now we need to know, and I think the birth narrative is a prime example of how this works. We have spent the last few weeks with Luke. 
primarily Luke. First of all, do you know that they're different? You know that the two stories are completely different? You just heard Matthew's today. What, how, what drives the story of Matthew's birth narrative? Matthew's story is driven by angel appearances to who? Angels to Joseph in dreams, right? All right, Luke, on the other hand, begins and ends in the temple. You need to know that. The first thing that happens in Luke's gospel is Zechariah in the temple in the Holy of Holies, right? And who pops up and says, hey, how you doing? Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appears to Zechariah in the Holy of Holies and tells him that his wife is going to have a son, right? And Zechariah says, what? Are you kidding me? We're like 90. How's that going to happen? Oh, don't worry. God's going to take care of it. Da, 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 da. But because Zechariah questions, what happens to him? Yeah, because he says, like, really? He can't talk. For nine months, nine whole months, he struck dumb. Now, the ironic part of this story is that Zechariah is in the Holy of Holies. He's waited his whole life for this assignment. He may only get it once. And his whole thing is to offer prayers in the Holy of Holies while he's offering prayers all around the Holy of Holies in the outer courts of the temple. Ordinary folks like me and you are offering prayers as well. Zechariah's big job is at the end of his time in the Holy of Holies is to walk out and pronounce a blessing on all the people that have been praying outside and let them go home. So you think of this in your own mind. This is how scripture is awesome to me. It's not said, but we know Zechariah can't talk, right? So he gets out there in his robes, goes to dismiss the people, and the one chance he's got, he's reduced to like sign language, like, go, go home. So he can't talk, but Luke gives us this wonderful tale that we followed pretty closely throughout Advent about this same angel who also appears to who? Mary. And the, the story is driven by angel appearances to outsiders in Luke's gospel. Is Mary an insider? No, she's some poor peasant girl. We don't know much about her, but God decides she should bear Jesus. And the angel comes to tell her that. Who hears the other words on the night of the birth? In Luke, we get shepherds, right? Shepherds in the field. That would be like hell's angels today. Of all the people to get the good news, the angel splits the skies, sees the hell's angels sitting around a campfire drinking beer and says, hey, guess what? I have good news for you, and this is for all people. And you go and tell them, a child is born for you. And they get all excited, so excited in Luke's gospel that they do what? They leave their sheep. It doesn't say, oh, and they decided that since Joseph was the youngest one, he'd stay back with the sheep and make sure nothing happened to him. They all are so excited, they get up and leave their sheep to go in search of what's happened. Throughout Luke's gospel, this whole outsider narrative continues from the beginning to the end. 
One of Luke's main purposes is to bring outsiders in. It's part of the story of Jesus. It's what's going on here for Luke. Now, we heard Matthew's story today. What do we get in Matthew that we don't get in Luke? There are no shepherds in Matthew's gospel. We get what? Wise men. This is the operative word. Men. Angel appears to a man. Drives the story. Right? And if you look carefully, this whole story in Matthew is carefully crafted to cast Jesus as the new Moses. It's Jesus as the new Moses. What else do you get once Jesus is here in Matthew? You get the sermon on the mount. Where did Moses receive the law? On the mount. Um, In Luke, that same material is a sermon on the plain. There's no authority figure. Jesus is at eye level with everybody else. Um, It's a totally different cast of the story. I just wanted you to understand today that we do a poor job at Christmas of mishmashing all of this together when I don't think it was ever designed to be seen together. And I'm telling you this today, confession, because I was raised in a conservative church. Nobody ever told me this stuff. I didn't learn this until I got to seminary. And part of the reason I'm telling you is my reaction when I got to seminary was, I've been in church my whole life. Why didn't anybody ever tell me this? Our Sunday school materials. When you see David, he stands on a hill with his little shepherd's crook, and that hill is green grass, and sheep are all around him. I don't want to ruin your New Year and your Christmas. Not true. First time I went to the Holy Land, they said, these are the fields of David. I'm like, are you kidding me? These aren't the fields of David. Where's the grass? There is no grass. There's moss that grows on the rocks. The sheep scrape the moss with their teeth off the rocks. Now, why we can't tell that to our children is beyond me. Because I'd have felt much better if I'd have gotten there and said, oh, yeah, there's the rocks that the sheep scrape the moss out of. But I'm like, oh, no, man, where's the grass? Where's the grass? So you need to know this because of this. Um, This Jesus material existed through word of mouth for years, and I don't want to take up much more time. Um, But when these stories were written, they were written intentionally. And they include things that were important to their community at the time. Matthew sets out from the beginning of his gospel, I would say, to set up a hierarchy for the church. This is the favorite gospel of the Catholic Church. Because in this gospel, Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. And all down through the ages, even though they don't have similar kin, the popes are the new relative of Peter, right? All right, so there's a reason that Matthew does this. I don't have time to get into all of it. There's a reason that Luke does all of this. But this is a gospel of the outsider. This is a gospel of the insider. You've got two completely different birth narratives. And I tell you this at the beginning of a new year because the many levels of the story 
is as you read them, they work for what the story tells you right now. They also work with the layer of what the author was trying to convey about what was going on in his particular community at the time. They also work with the layer of what's going on in our world today. In both of them, there are Herod, right? Do we still have Herods? Unfortunately, we do. We do. We all live in a world in which Herods still rule. They still rule. So it's like an onion. There are many levels. The more you peel back, the more truth you reveal. And I think that's all I want to say. Any questions? Anything anybody wants to say? Now's your chance. Our lives are onions. Yeah, they are. That's very true. I think that's how scripture speaks to us, right? Because there are so many layers within us. And time after time after time, and the cool part of this and how the spirit works through this to me is that it's constantly true. It's constantly true. It's sad and it's wonderful and it's strong and it's powerful. But at the core of it all is the truth that God sent a son to live our life, to know our experience, to die our death for us so we don't have to do that, and to provide a pathway for us to eternal life. And all you need to do is believe it's true and open your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the power of this story. Um, for the truths that are evident uh, for us in it, and for the truths that are still there, and we just haven't mined down far enough to find them yet. Um, it's a powerful witness, time and time again, uh, that you love us beyond our knowing, that you care for us uh, beyond our understanding, and at the root of it all, is that you provide life for us in ways we've yet to realize. So we thank, say thank you and give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.